Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into Four Down Territory Playoff Edition. I'm Kyle Madsen, the managing editor of NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. As always, alongside me, Doug Farrar, the managing editor of TouchdownWire.com, one of the smartest people in football, one of my favorite people to talk football with. Thank you, everybody, for being here. And, Doug, I'm super excited to talk about playoff games. Not as many. One one shy of the number we thought we would have to talk about. Yeah. Because Bill's Steelers was moved to inclement weather. And, you know, at first, I don't know where you landed on that whole thing, but at first, I'm like, nah, give me the bad weather game. Like, I, that, I, I'm, I'm in on that. And then I saw the videos, like, from Buffalo. Like ah no good call good call I'm glad I'm glad they moved it yeah the city of Buffalo has enough to deal with right now without you know yeah yeah as a lubed up Bills fanatics going to Highmark Stadium and causing more problems so it was it was good that they moved it I'm all for weird weather games I you know the Ice Bowl is one of my favorite games the yeah the Freezer Bowl between the Bengals and the Chargers which I I still to this day like Don Coryell's Chargers versus Bill Walsh's Niners in that Super Bowl would have been amazing but oh. I digress. Fred Dean revenge game but I'll I'll shut up now. <laughs> you don't right. need history from the 80s for me. Speaking of I could I could listen to it all day but speaking of cold weather games let's go to one for first down here. Yep. The Dolphins got blown out by the Chiefs 26 to 7 at Arrowhead Stadium. Now that the Dolphins are out of the postseason, we're left with the question we've kind of been asking all along. Yeah. And that's what do you do about Tua Tungavailoa, their quarterback? So I ask you, Doug, is Tua the right franchise quarterback for this Dolphins team? I'm going to answer that question with a question because I'm feeling especially contrary this Monday well, afternoon. I'm going to name four quarterbacks who operate in very similar systems. And I'm going to ask you to rank them. Tua, Brock Purdy, CJ Stroud, and Jordan Love. Where would you put Tua right now on that list? Probably third. Behind or ahead of who? I think ahead of I think I'm putting him ahead of Purdy. Okay. For okay. now, yeah. I would put him fourth because Purdy is such a good pre and post snap diagnostician, and I think he throws eh. as much anticipation than Tua does. Okay, that's Tua, Tua is more of a see it and throw it guy, but you know, we're so we're quibbling, but keep in mind all those other three quarterbacks have done more to elevate their offense in less time. That's a good point. It's also interesting that we're discussing Tua at the same time we're seeing Jared Goff hit a level we never thought we could he could in a Lions offense is perfectly set for his attributes. Goff was thought to be an average best quarterback, maxed out in that ideal offense of Sean McVay. And as it turned out, there was a whole other gear that we didn't see or didn't know about. But those things don't happen as often as we'd like, and you can't bet on it. You can't say, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to bet that in three years this guy will be him. You usually see it sooner than that. I don't think anyone would say that head coach Mike McDaniel isn't a brilliant offensive play caller. So with Tua, we're left with what he does in McDaniel's offense, and that might be a maxed out situation. You never know, as we've seen with Goff. You see it with other guys. But I I look at the situations I want to see from great quarterbacks. On third down this season, Tua has seven regular season interceptions, tied with Josh Allen for the league lead. 
on passes of 20 or more air yards, which McDaniel's offense is designed to create more than any other NFL offense, Tua also has seven picks. Only Allen and Jalen Hurts have more. Tua was pressured on just 24.9% of his dropbacks this season because that offense is designed to get the ball out quickly. But when pressured this season, Tua had two touchdowns, three picks, and a passer rating of 52.8. It's not that I think Tua is somehow irredeemable, but we're dealing with a situation where it very much looks like he's maxed out. You can't be in that kind of purgatory at the game's most important position. In the end, I think the Dolphins will wait to give Tua any kind of contract extension. They've got him for $23.1 million on his fifth-year option in 2024. After that, unless there's some sort of global, oh, my God, what just happened here kind of thing, I think they'll probably move along, and I'm not sure how they can responsibly do anything else. I think I think we've seen enough. He's shown enough. I never want to doom a guy and just say this is all he's ever going to be because there are rogue factors you don't know about, but it's starting to look that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you, man. I, I think that Tua is, is fine. And I think we we always get caught up in like where does this player rank in a vacuum? If you put him in a league average offense, what would he look like? And and that that's fine for a good thought exercise, but that's not what the Dolphins are looking at. The no. Dolphins are looking at, like you said, what does this guy do in our system? And for the most part, he's been really, really good in that in that system. Yeah, he obviously had the injuries uh, last year where he didn't get to play in the playoffs, and then this year concussions. You mean? Yeah, right, right. The concussion issue. And then this year, I, I thought the Dolphins were were too beat up defensively to to make any yeah. real run. And I thought you and I were playing edge for the Dolphins in that game. Yeah, I was actually I was I was on call. They didn't. I don't know if they called you, but I, they they said to be ready. So I know I, was doing I know my you're, stretches you're all week. I know you were pumped anyway. I can't. Yeah, no doubt. I've been working on this rip move that I was really excited to unleash, but I didn't didn't get a chance. It's fine. Maybe well, next year. It, yeah. It's there when you need it. So here's my here's my thing. At some point, like if I'm the Dolphins and Tua wants to hit free agency, I'm letting him. Mm-hmm. I, I think and I, and I I know that that kind of sounds insane given what what paying quarterbacks has been, right? It's just always been the next guy to get paid is just going to be the next guy to get the most money. And I think if you're the Dolphins, it's it's the same thing the 49ers ran into with Jimmy Garoppolo. And yep. and other teams have, but I'm I'm closest to the Jimmy Garoppolo situation, so we'll do this. Mm-hmm. They paid him at the time as the highest paid quarterback in the league when they when they paid him before the 2018 season. And when you do that, it just handcuffs a little bit what you can do and 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 what you can add on the on the margins of your roster. And if your quarterback, who is your highest paid player, is not elevating some of those players where you had to shortcut because of the salary or some of the positions that you had to shortcut because of your salary, then you run into a situation where you're just kind of capped out and everything needs to go absolutely perfect for you to win a Super Bowl. And if you've watched any football at any point in your life, you know that everything going exactly perfect and falling within the margin of error you have is uh, impossible for for a three or four game playoff run. So if I'm the Dolphins, I'm throwing like like a Jared Goff type of contract out there, maybe a Kirk Cousins type of contract where you're looking between 30, 35 million a year. That's still a lot. That's still, you know, hey, we we want you in the building. It's a, we big, want you. It's a big one year, fully guaranteed, kick it on the down the road kind of thing, which I think is reasonable. Yeah, and just and and that way you can widen your margin of error by paying some other positions. So when Tua is rendered mostly ineffective against the Chiefs, you have some other outlets to go to outside of you know 
wide receiver screens and and extended handoff swing passes. Right. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. But if Tua walks to the table and says, "Hey, I want something north of the Burrow contract," well, all right, good luck. Go get it elsewhere. Yep. All right, let's move on to second down. Speaking of fun teams to watch this offseason. <gasps> <laughs> is Jerry Jones going to fire Mike McCarthy? And should he fire Mike McCarthy? And if so, who should replace him? Well, three part question. Yeah, this goes beyond the question of whether Jerry Jones replaced Mike McCarthy or not. If it were me, I would pull the trigger on that. But I think you probably could have guessed my answer there. Um, <laughs> this really goes to Jones's hiring cycle through his time as a Cowboys owner. For the most part, he's wanted head coaches who knew the word yes, above all. Yes, sir, above all. Yes, sir, you can have everything you want, above all. And I'll just hold the clipboard and call plays and let Jones deal with personnel and everything else. But on two occasions, he deferred to head coaches who were going to run personnel and do things their way. That was Jimmy Johnson in 89 when Jerry had just bought the team, fired Tom Landry, for God's sake, and had to rebuild the NFL's worst roster. And he knew that Jimmy, with his recruiting advantages and you know, from coming from Miami, it was kind of like when Pete Carroll uh, came to Seattle or Jim Harbaugh went to San Francisco. You're coming out of college. One advantage is you know all those guys. So you can bring mm-hmm. them all in. And that blew apart in 94 when Jerry was tired of Jimmy getting credit for all the work that Jimmy actually did. And it was 10 years of Barry Switzer and Chan Gailey and Dave Campo before Jerry wanted to be great again. And he hired Bill Parcells to that end. Well, Parcells is the one who said, if you're going to ask him to go shopping, you should at least let him, you know, or, or cook a dinner, you know, have him buy the groceries. And that lasted four years. Then it was Wade Phillips and a decade of Jason Garrett. Why? And finally, McCarthy. I would not elevate McCarthy as a head coach over any of those names. So Jerry might be in line for another shot at greatness at the expense of institutional control. I tend to think at this point, if Jerry could get a Bill Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh, he'd probably do it and deal with the parts of that that he might not like. I might even throw Pete Carroll's name in there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but Jimmy Johnson going off on the current Cowboys at halftime from the Fox Sports studio right after Jerry finally put him in the ring of honor, that had to be a bit jarring for the old boy. So uh, I, I believe it changes our foot in Dallas uh, quite exponentially. Yes. I feel like, I feel like Pete Carroll of all the names you just said makes the most sense for, yeah. for what Dallas needs. I That's hadn't really thought about it until I was writing my part of the show. And I'm like, actually, yeah. hmm, cause Pete, you know, he was all the way in charge up here, but mm-hmm. he may, that may be a situation where Jerry can bend a little bit, Pete can bend a little bit, and maybe you know chocolate and the peanut butter and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like I like your note here about McCarthy, dude. He stinks. Like uh, what? Stinks, I don't stinks in all caps. By the way, he does. No, he does. And look, I, I Kevin Clark said this on on his podcast. This is football, and I I totally agree with him. Winning twelve games three years in a row is not the point of the sport. No, like you're trying to win Super Bowls. Mike McCarthy, for as as you know as successful as he's been in the regular season, had Aaron Rodgers for all those years and won one title, mm-hmm. and now he comes to Dallas, and they face plant against San Francisco two years ago, they face plant offensively against San Francisco last year, and then this year it was it was a, a disgrace, like it was it was awful on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And this is not just and, and Mike McCarthy thought that the solution was having him take on play calling duties, which mm-hmm. is a whole other like separate thing. The problem is, is the Cowboys as talented as they are and top to bottom, they have built a very, very good roster. They, that is a roster that could and should win playoff games and maybe yeah. a Super Bowl. Yeah, but they but but they don't. And, and I think that the common thread is there's late game mistakes. 
they don't look prepared on on both sides of the ball. I know you're going to talk about Dan Quinn later, but but specifically offensively, Green Bay's defense is bad. It is not good. I know Joe Barry's name because of Packer fans complaining about him. Yeah, and, and when the game was meaningful, that defense looked like the '85 Bears. Yeah, right. Which shouldn't, which should not happen. Like that, I, I, I don't. They, they might have had a great game plan, but that's something that you have to figure out. They just aren't talented enough to slow down this version of the Cowboys, and yet they did it. And that, to me, comes down to the coaching. When you are on three years of falling short on the biggest stages, which is a problem that Mike McCarthy had even in Green Bay. Yep. This you, you absolutely have to move on, and and whoever comes in after him has to be somebody with some level of cachet and a history of of his teams performing in big spots. Yeah, it can't that's, be the modern version of whoever Jason Garrett is, whoever that I, person might be. Right. Don't go don't go get Kellen Moore or whoever. Like that just doesn't that that doesn't work. No. So I, I, I think that that you're right. There has to be some organizational structural uh shift. I don't want to say change, but there has to be a little bit of a shift in the mindset if they're going to get a coach that's going to seriously help them compete for titles. Well, and the, the late game head scratchers I mean, this happened that later in the game, the Packers brought in on defense, all the people who were shoveling the bills stadium seats. So it was like their <laughs> you know, 12th string defense. Right. And the Cowboys actually made it a two possession game. There was a point one thirty left in the game where Dak Prescott decides not to clock it. And they wasted 15 seconds. Yeah. Just, Threw them away. Well, where have we seen that before? Time after time after time. It's just yep. It's not working. McCarthy is, you know, what he is. If you if you value him as an offensive play caller, which I don't, then hire him as that. If you value him as a uh, in-game tactician, which I don't know why you would. I mean, okay. He may have to go back to PFF and actually do the work he said he did before that he didn't do. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, Kyle. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd be pretty shocked if he gets another head coaching gig after this. I'd be I'd be pretty shocked if he's if he's still the Cowboys coach next season. But Jerry Jones has surprised me before. So third down. So we're shooting this before Monday night's Eagles Bucks playoff game, and if the Eagles get blown out, which is a, a, a possibility that is firmly on the table, looking should, more and more possible with every week. <laughs> like it's it's honestly crazy. The fact that the Eagles are favored. Makes me want to bet on the Eagles because that feels like a trap line, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just I, I I don't get it. But uh, so the the question the question I have for you is: Should owner Jeff Jeff Lurie uh, move on from head coach Nick Sirianni? And even if the Eagles win, how much faith do you have in their ability to get to another Super Bowl and 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 maybe even win it? Uh, let's start with Wood, Lurie, Fire, Sirianni. Quicker than the Eagles fans threw snowballs at Santa Claus in 1968. Really? Yes. Look, huh. Lurie, okay. he already fired Andy Reid. He fired Doug Peterson pretty soon after Doug won him a Super Bowl. Yeah. There are serious expectations there. And as far as their ability to make a deep playoff run, probably not unless they lock Matt and Patricia in a box in the facility. Sirianni lost offensive coordinator Shane Steichen to the Colts, defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon to the Cardinals last offseason. The brain drain has been obvious, especially on defense, where new D.C. Sean Desai got two-thirds into the season where he was whacked uh, by Sirianni in favor of Patricia. The defense has been worse since Patricia took over. Nobody could have seen that coming. Uh, the offense under Brian Johnson has been, has been disorganized all season, and A.J. Brown is out for this game. Events to get a very active and uh, 
far above ordinary Buccaneers defense. A lot of blitzes. And in that week three Eagles-Buccaneers game, uh, Todd Bowles blitzed Hurts on like two-thirds of his snaps. Well, Hurts threw two interceptions and had like a, a pass rating under 50, I believe. So uh, another factor here, Sirianna can be tough to work for and with. He's pretty tense most of the time. And that has to be especially true after his team started the season 10-1 and and lost five of their next six games. There are probably already rumbles in the building, and if that happens, well, that does not make the 2024 head coach cycle even more interesting. I'm not rooting for anyone to lose his job, but I'm saying it's more possible than people might think. Given Lurie's history, I mean, firing Andy Reid, that, that is like firing Santa Claus, quite literally. I mean, yeah. You know, and then you fire a guy who won you your only Super Bowl a couple years after. He has no compunctions about starting over at all. Yeah, yeah, I I – I get that. For just making the case for for Nick Sirianni here, who I'm I'm not totally sold that that he's a great head coach, but I think the case is what you just laid out. Like Andy Reid had a ton of success, and I know they only went to one Super Bowl and they lost all those NFC title games and they lost in the Super Bowl. So I, I I get that. Want a little change of scenery, and then the Doug Peterson thing wasn't there. In a, wasn't there some kind of disagreement about about like the the power structure in the building with yes. Doug Peterson? So that that's kind of where I think if if you look at what the Eagles did last year and the start they got off to this year, I think you you give Nick Sirianni at least the start of next year. If I'm if I'm Jeff Lurie, and seeing if okay was that ten and one something legit and the one and five and an early playoff exit was kind of a was kind of a fluke where there were some injuries and Jalen Hurts wasn't hundred percent and okay got to make a couple of tweaks defensively. I, that's that's what I would lean to because if you're firing Nick Sirianni now and saying hey uh, eleven and five or eleven and six I guess after a year after going to the Super Bowl and losing mm-hmm. is just not good enough like that that puts a really really high bar and I and I understand the bar is going to be high in Philadelphia and that's great that's what you want from a team but I, one year removed from winning a Super Bowl and then going eleven and five and having it kind of go sideways at the end is enough to to lose a job like that. That to me, if you're a coach, it's like why would you want to take that? Yeah, you're gonna be going you to can, a Super Bowl, not winning it, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah, going yeah going to a Super Bowl. Same, yeah. I mean, I, no, I, I'm not saying it will happen. Mm-hmm. I, I I wrote the question because I think it's more possible than people may think. That's fair. Yeah, I, I like you said the history is there. History says it's on the table for sure. Yeah. I would I, if I'm if I'm advising Jeff Lurie, which I'm not, I'm not shocker. Uh, if he watches, I would I, I would just advise uh, hey, against that. Sorry, hey, we'll just do a hey Jeff section every week. <laughs> hey Jeff. No. Hey Jeff. What you do? And by uh, the way, Tepper isn't you know it, it's not high standards like you know David Tepper and Dan Snyder where you're just completely divorced from all reason and logic. I mean, Lori knows what he's doing. So, yeah. just, you know, it's just yeah. out there. It's just out there. It's out there in the weeds. They've had they've had a lot of success for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to fourth down. Let's do it like we always do. What was your worst of the week? Doug? Well, I could get into the referee Craig Wolstad's performance in the Lions Rams game, which was abysmal from start to finish, but I won't. Had a boy. This week, I have raspberries for two usually great defensive coaches who failed to adjust in the wild card round, and it cost their teams their seasons. Let's start with Browns defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, who openly said in the days before Cleveland's wild card game against the Texans that he wasn't going to switch anything up against C.J. Stroud. Huh. Whew. That was a problem. <laughs> Browns came into the postseason with the NFL single 
highest rate of single high coverage, and Stroud had ripped single high to shreds all of his rookie season long. Well, in Houston's 45-14 to beatdown of the Browns, Stroud faced single high coverage on 16 of his 21 passing attempts in the game, and at no time on any of those snaps, and I watched all 16 of them, at no time did Schwartz give Stroud anything to look at as far as pre- and post-snap disguise. Like, hey, we're at two and now we're at one. It was just single high, single high, single high. It was like 19, it was like the 1980s. It was like watching the Steelers defense in the 70s where nobody moves. It was just <laughs> kind of there. Uh, so nothing to muddy the picture, nothing to delay his reads and throws. And so he's treating Stroud like a rookie. Stroud is not a rookie, Kyle. Stroud is alien. He is from the planet kick your ass, and that's what he did. He responded to Bob's expense. He diced up all those coverage. And, you know, then they tried too high, and by that time it was too late. So, yeah, that was was a problem. Uh, Second was Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn against Green Bay. While Quinn went away from his man coverage preferences in Dallas's loss to the Packers, he had six defensive backs on the field for about two-thirds of Dallas's defensive snaps. And they have they have it depends because they have some sort of safety linebacker hybrids. But if you count all their hybrids as safeties, mm-hmm. Dallas has more five times more dime snaps, literally five times more dime snaps against running plays than any other Jeez. NFL team. Five times over two hundred. The Patriots ranked second with like fifty, and so. And they're doing that against Aaron Jones, who has been one of the NFL's best running backs the last month of the regular season. And, of course, Jones responded by running 21 times for 118 yards and three touchdowns. Oops. You hire coaches because you expect them to tailor their plans to every opponent, especially in the postseason. And, again, two great coaches. I have known Dan for a long time. He's a brilliant guy. I'm I'm not going to put it all on one bad game. But neither Schwartz nor Quinn seem to have any answers there. And that's – Boy, that's that's not how you want your season to go. You would rather get outperformed on the field than outcoached on the sideline. And I would argue that both the Browns and the Cowboys got outcoached on that side of the ball. Cowboys got outcoached on every side of the ball. But <laughs> that's that's where I'm going with my worst of the week. But Craig Rolstad, <laughs> you got three different uh, Packer, three different uh, Lion defenders hitting Matthew Stafford late on that play. Stafford's head hits the ground. He looks to be out for a second. Yep. There's no roughing the passer. There's no late hit. There's no concussion test that we're aware of. I'm just saying. That's, I, I'm just saying. This is my I'm not saying. I'm just saying. The, 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 the bothersome thing with the whole Stafford thing that you were just talking about is if that's week four, he's 100% taken out of the game. But because it's a playoff game and it's close, it's okay. Let's skirt the rules, which 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 go which is not not the point. That that is antithetical to everything that the NFL says they want to do in regards to player safety. But um, I I, I um, don't want to dive all the way into that. We'd be here. For yeah, let's, let's not go there. That's that's so, an entirely different disaster. Yeah. All right. So I have I have a couple. One. I, I don't know if this is really worse of the week, but just something notable from the Cowboys game since we're here. The Cowboys tied the NFL postseason record for first downs in a game with 37. And 26 of those did come in the second half when when the game was kind of already out of hand. But they're also the first NFL team to ever lose in a game where they had 37 or more first downs. In any game. In any game, according to the search tool on StatHead. Wow. Yeah. Team's now 8-1. 
Shout out to shout out to Mike McCarthy. Congratulations on the on the that, notable. Okay. Everything I said about the man you should fire McCarthy, do it. <laughs> because as uh, I said, a lot, a lot of those uh, second half first downs came against UPS drivers. Yeah, right. Um, the, my my real one though is, look, all due respect to Joe Flacco, but everyone trying to talk themselves into Joe Flacco. I got second a little bit. I have to I did, admit, I did I too, man. I picked the Browns I, I to felt, win. I felt it's I felt its claws on the back of my neck and I was ready to sort of yeah. So I I, I my my take the whole week was Domingo Ryan's gonna put Joe Flacco in hell. Like yep. he is going to have Joe Flacco in a straight jacket. We've seen him do it to Aaron freaking Rodgers in in Green Bay. Yep. Like in Lambo, we saw D'Amico Ryan's put put a straight jacket on Aaron Rodgers. It's like, of course he's going to do that to Joe Flacco. But I thought the Browns' defense was going to come up bigger than it did. And you already you already laid out earlier all the all the issues with, with Jim Schwartz there. So it, it's just there was a lot of discussion. Again, I, I work in sports talk radio, and there was a lot of hey, if Joe Flacco wins the Super Bowl, is he a Hall of Famer? Hey, if they make Joe Flacco comeback player of the year, this and that. Like, no, it was a cool, it was a fun story. But we have half a decade of Joe Flacco being bad. And we saw why in, in that game against Houston, when a team is ratcheted up, ready to play big moment, Joe Flacco on the road, he's not, he's not going to come up big at this, at this point of his career that his, the Superboy one was more than 10 years ago. Like, come on. It, it was insane. And I think I, I, like I said, I am in this, we got way out over our skis rooting for a fun thing. And, um, it, it showed why that was silly. I, I think on, on Saturday. I, you know, I admire Joe though, whether he comes back next year or not. And, you know, I don't know that Deshaun Watts will ever play again with all his BS on all those different levels, but Joe came in throwing all over the field, YOLO balls everywhere. And he went out the same way. Boy, did he. Consecutive (laughs) throws, which I, I, I haven't, either Rich Gannon did it in that Super Bowl against the Buccaneers or he's the first guy to do it. uh, Uh, Rich Gannon did it too. He on consecutive, it wasn't drives, Ooh, plays, right? I don't think it was consecutive, was consecutive throws, consecutive no. plays mm-hmm. like he threw the pick six, the next play through a pick six. I think Gannon had it on anyway. Uh, Flacco either made or tied history in a way that was at. I mean, if you want that flight of Icarus, baby, you just want, you want to <laughs> eat the sun right in the nose <laughs> and go out burning. That That's that's how I remember Uncle Joe. I thought that was you know, I'm not great for him, but. He uh, he ascended and then he went splat just as quickly. Yeah, and it was, by the uh, way, shout out to Houston's watch. defense. God, they were so good. Didn't see that coming, did we? They were so freaking good, man. Yep, Flacco's. Was... Uh, he came into this game with eight interceptions, I believe. Yes, uh, four of them were on uh, slot vertical routes, and I think it was the second pick six. They were mm-hmm. just sitting on that. It was like, yep, we know you're going to throw the slot vertical. Just do it. Just get yeah. it over with. We're gonna sit our linebacker right. Here. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was the second one, where yeah. the linebackers just everyone else is moving. The linebackers like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna right. have a I'll, I'll take know, this. Hang out. Stroll into the end zone. Yeah, it was uh, yep. good on good on Houston. They are a ton of fun. And yes, man, well, I I I need a Bills win on Monday. Again, we're recording this a little bit before kickoff. I need a Bills win because I desperately need Houston Baltimore. Like I need it. Like I need air. That's, 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 that is, yeah, that's, uh, oof. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Can't wait. That, that is chat. That is 3d chess for sure. Yeah. All right. Whatever playoff games we get, 
We'll be looking forward to them. We'll be locked in and we'll be back next week with another edition of four down territory uh, with you. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Happy MLK day, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.